You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning into Labor Relations Radio. You know, if you've been listening to Labor Relations Radio for any length of time, you'll know that I like to talk to people from a variety of backgrounds and from both sides of the table, so to speak. And you may have also noticed that I've had a number of episodes about California, and I'll share with you why. As I've mentioned in the past, California seems to be one of the main Petri dishes of bad ideas to impose on the rest of the country. In fact, on our last episode of Labor Relations Radio, which was the Friday before Labor Day, we had Lance Christensen on from the California Policy Center talking about what was then pending AB 257, which was the union-sponsored bill to put the state in charge of setting wages and working conditions for the fast food industry out in California. Well, on Labor Day, after the podcast, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, signed AB 257 into law. So for the first known time in the United States, a state will be setting wages and working conditions over an entire private sector industry. Now, I share that with you to somewhat introduce you to today's guest. As you may know, I've had a a few guests on Labor Relations Radio whom I've met through Twitter. And Linda Pinky Martinez is one such guest. Linda's an activist, or as I say with respect, a troublemaker. And we've been following each other on Twitter for a few months. She sends me links to things I should read, etc. Linda's also a Californian who, as I learned yesterday, was a state worker and a SEIU member as well as an activist who's been involved in California politics or labor relations, so to speak, on the union side for a number of years. So I wanted to have a conversation with her to talk about California, what's going on out there, and how it got to where it is. Here's Linda Pinky Martinez. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Linda Martinez, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. So I've met people on Twitter, um, and you're one of those who I find whose tweets are very interesting. And I've reached out a couple and had a couple on, and I think you're the second or third person I've had on Labor Relations Radio just to kind of find out more about what you're doing and, and all that sort of stuff. And we had a conversation yesterday, and I think... Um, perhaps the easiest way to explain it is you're a former state worker in the state of California, uh-huh. a former union member. You're not anti-union, um, but you're kind of fighting the whole AB5. And and what I watch on the on Twitter is you're kind of a troublemaker. Is that, <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah, I've accepted the title over the years. Okay, so give us your background. Tell us who you are well, and what you do. Uh, my name is Linda Martinez, um, and I started working for the state of California in 1985, fresh out of high school. Um, and I worked at a developmental center for 14 years. I became a licensed psychiatric technician. Um, we had some issues at the facility. 
The Lanterman Act was then uh, dispelled throughout the facilities and the facilities were cut in half. So um, the patients were placed in homes and that types of things. Long story short, I worked two years at Caltrans, local assistance in Oakland, and then I moved back to disabilities, which was 14 years uh, as an adjudicator for Title II and Title 16, more commonly known as uh, SSI and SSDI. So I performed the medical review and uh, made the determination as to whether you were disabled or not, according to Social Security's rules. Okay. So I did that job for quite a few years. And towards how I became a union member was towards the end of my career. Um, the federal government had the same position that I performed, except they made up to $50,000 more a year. So I have been non-germane the majority of my career with the state. Uh, and that means if you're in the union and you don't want any of your money to go to politics, we had a one window, I think 30 days, maybe the month of June, to send a letter to our union and tell them that we don't want any of our money to go to politics. Well, that would dip our dues from $90 down to 25 a month. Just so like $65 is going to politics on a $95 bill? Said no. Absolutely. Not right. $60. Well, $65, $65 could go to politics. However, um, in our particular union, SEIU, Local 1000, I also was a statewide activist with SEIU Local 1000. And I also became a DLC uh, secretary treasurer, which means my local district council elected me to handle the money. Anyhow, um, one of the other things that SEIU does is they have a COPE drive. Um, it's a community outreach program, something, something. And I, too, would solicit members not only to pay $90 in dues, but if they wanted to uh, donate tw anywhere between $5 to $25 more a month, that gives the union the absolute money to do whatever they want with that COPE money. So there's lots of different ways that the union collects monies to put into politics. So um, being on both sides of the fence, I was an arbiter. I did represent staff in my department. I did save a lot of jobs. Uh, there's a thing called rejection on probation that the state workers have to go through. And to be clear, state, uh, the state workers, SEIU Local 1000 is the largest public sector um, union in California. It's comprised of 100,000 state workers. So is that, anyhow. That's headquartered in Sacramento, right? Yes, is it, it is. Yeah, okay. Yes, it is. And that's Local 1000. That's just one of the many subsidiaries of SEIU. Right. Because SEIU is an international union, and it's head by Mary Kay Henry. That's 2 million members. And that's in different countries, much of where this push to end independent contracting and unions for all has come from because it works in other countries. I often say it doesn't work here because we're in America. So I did a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, scally hearings. I did arbitration review, grievance reviews. I filed grievances. And what I found was a target on my back. Down the road, DSS ended up terminating me not once, but three times. It took them three times to get rid of a 25-year state worker. So I've been through every arbitration process the union can have all the way up to the San Francisco Supreme or First Appeal Court. So I'm currently bad case law because the union failed in its endeavors to protect me from being union busted. 
So anyhow, um, currently how I uh, found AB5 about two and a half years ago was when SEIU Local 1000 lost my case, they handed it to me and said, hey, sorry we lost, but we need you to take this back to your capital and see if anyone will overturn this case law. So here I stand after helping on a fast food wage campaign, um, helping uh, Jerry Brown sign the $15 an hour bill. Uh, we got SB 1234 signed, which was a portable retirement for all. It's about 2011-ish area, um, I believe. Anyhow, what I got repaid for was being fired and losing my 30-year pension. And what is valuable about that pension with CalPERS is that I work 30 years for life health benefits. And that's what the state and DSS is trying to keep from me because they think I'm a bad person for testifying at the Capitol and doing all this stuff that really unions say you should be able to do and not get in trouble. Right. <laughs> so I'm the prime example. So um, you mentioned you're on the fast food campaign, uh, which mm -hmm. is the fight for 15 back in what, 2012? Is it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's when it launched nationwide. So you're out there yeah. in, in California, what, stalking the minimum wage workers? Yes. Well, you know, I actually shut down. It was probably my best uh, performance as an actress, but um, I actually got about, I was taken off Stewart time for about, I don't know, two weeks. And what happens when you get taken off steward time, the state's really funky. They, you get approved through your manager, but the union has to pay the state, I think, to double our pay to have us out. Or, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it is. So it's a big deal when you leave on union um, leave. And so I was out for two weeks on the fast food wage campaign, and we found the activists throughout the East Bay. It was called EBOC back then. I think it was East Bay Organizing Commission. It's mm. just 10 years in my mind. And so we drove around. We found the activists. We had meetings. We did it just like they had asked us to. Um, we actually they started uh, protesting at the at the fast food restaurants, which they would just shut down when they see the union people coming. So one day I was at my desk and I get a call from the chief of staff, Sarah Zimmerman, and she's like, where are you? We're at Jack in the Box. And I was like, OK, so I had to jump in my car because at that point I was split between two bosses. And when they called, I had to go. So I'm taking my lunch and I run over to Jack in the Box and I'm at the wrong one. So I'm sitting there. Mm. So they're like, no, we're over here. I drive to the next one and they already have the drive through shut down. So they wanted to deliver a bag of coals to Jack in the Box. Okay. And so what happened coals, was like in, like in coal that you put in your fireplace. Yep. Like, okay. Yep. Yep. And so they shut that down. I got the bright idea. Well, I'll go to the one I just was at. Okay, so I went in, I sat in it, and then I see that they, they get a call from the other jack-in-the-box, and they're like, they're coming. So they're, I could hear the staff going, oh, my God, they're coming this way, they're coming this way. <laughs> so I stayed in the restaurant, and I acted like I was just a patron. I was like, oh, my God, is it okay? Are we going to get hurt? And they're like, no, no, it's okay. We'll keep them out. And I see them. And, and the, the, the top staff of SEIU Local 1000 sees me through the window. And I'm like, shh, 
right? So right at the right time, when they had all surrounded Jack in the Box, I threw open the door and I said, what do we want? $15 in a union. And they got in. Yeah, it it was pretty intense. And so, yeah, I'm a troublemaker. (laughs) um, Let me ask you to explain this for the listeners. Uh, You were not a full-time SEIU employee, but you were a basically a shop steward or a representative at work on your job for the state. Um, and you would sign out to go do union business or union organizing or protests and on union leave, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Or recruiting, et cetera. And so then you were getting paid by the SEIU or the state would still pay you. And then the state would still pay me, and then SEIU, Local 1000, had to Reimburse. pay them. I, okay. I think it's like once a month, and it's for all of us. It's not just one. Right. So including the president and the vice president, and according to the SEIU L1K bylaws, is they're only supposed to accept the salary that they would make at their desk. So let me let me clarify. So were you at that point just a member of just the local like uh, local 1000? I was an officer. Okay. So you're an I officer was, I, of local 1000. Um, how many people would, and you mentioned local 1000 had, you know, thousands of members. Mm-hmm. How many people would be doing what you were doing at any given time? Not many. They didn't trust a lot of people because union time are uh, paying back steward time off was so expensive. Um, there were, there was a campaign. There was about 12 of us that just directly, um, was trying to, uh, show the weaknesses of the SSA program in California. Uh, I, in retrospect, I understand why the department didn't take too kindly to that, but we were really behind with our disability claims. So I was on three or four different committees. They had me on the Hispanic Latino Latina committee and um, I was a DLC officer. I was a statewide activist. I was doing congressional hearings uh, about uh, the SSA uh, disability process. I even got to meet Xavier Bacetis at a NAID conference. And so as I got closer to their, uh, they have who they have to answer to, the regional commissioner, the associate commissioner of SSA, I was speaking to them on a personal basis. So it was intermixed. It was very hard for the managers to see me doing all these things one day. And then I'd have to go back to my desk and pretend I'm just an employee. Right. See, and so it, even when I represented staff, if I filed a grievance on their behalf, I would be, I should be able to go in and say whatever I want within reason, even if it sounds wrong or inappropriate or with a supervisor. For instance, I said to one supervisor, what gives you the right to refuse this person's uh, resignation? Okay, and then when I'd leave the room, go back to my desk, well, they have long managers, uh, long memories, the managers. Right. So they had, they had a difficult time shifting between me being against them, protecting staff, and then them wanting to, you know, look at my work and stuff like that and manage me. And so that's when the split became between us all because I had a perfect record prior to joining the union. Mm. And so I had said to, I mentioned to you yesterday, I said to them, you know, I know how this works. 
I'm a great employee until I make you mad. And then I'm the worst employee that ever existed. And just please leave me alone, you know, because right. I will, I will come back. I said, I will fight forever and get, you know, get what I deserve, but I won't need a union or an attorney to do it. Well, fast forward 10 years, here I am. Okay. I have one more hearing to try to get my pension back from my retirement date. And um, there's no union. They didn't come back. And that's one of my biggest concerns with the Starbucks employees. You know, I mentioned that to you yesterday is because uh, SEIU organizing Starbucks real quick is that I think 200 stores approximately have been organized, but about 100 staff have been fired. Yeah. And so, so they don't understand that the NLRB is not going to restore their job. I never got my job back. Well, they might was, in some cases. It depends on the actual circumstances. But it's, you know, the union, I think with Starbucks, they're filing charges right and left. And, and of course, they've got right. Jennifer Bruzzo, who is a union <laughs> attorney. You know, she'll, she'll try to make the claim that it's, you know, for anti-union sentiment or animus that, uh, that Starbucks fired them. And it's just whether there's proper documentation or not. Well, but I believe at this point that they're actually using these staff members to develop fines like the Department of Labor has when they, the wage and hour division. So like if there's an FMLA violation, I think the uh, Abrusos or NLRB is reaching for that kind of structure. I think these cases oh, sure. will be, yeah, will be very strong and it'll give her what she wants um, to be able to apply a fine. I think uh, DOL and EEOC they went to regular flat fines, depending on how many people work in your employer. Yeah, so they, don't, they don't have that under the NLRB yet. Um, they're trying to pass the PRO Act, which would institute fines. And right. so yesterday they had a hearing in, in Washington that was, you know, basically the unions saying why they need to change law and enact the PRO Act, which would include the monetary fines. So right. statutorily, right now, they can't do the fines, but at some point, they can do back pay. They could do back pay right. with interest, but you know, not monetary civil type fines. Not yet. Not yet. And you right. know, and it's kind of interesting because I'm a, I'm a big person that's in, into due process arbitration. And um, you, know, you asked earlier how I came upon AB5. Well, when they handed me my case and said, sorry, we did the best we could, I knew that all the politicians were on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I just said, okay, here we go. And when I popped up on Twitter about two and a half years ago, I can't remember. I saw, um, you know, remind, reminding that I've worked 30 years with disabled and I've been telling them for 30 years that they have to work. Neither taking them to work, taking them to their workshops, you know, the developmentally disabled or 14 years telling people who have cancer, and other types of really horrible diseases that I'm sorry you're sick, but you still have to work at least till you're 55. So when I popped up on Twitter, I was like, what's this AB5? What's this? Most of all, I struck me was Lorena Gonzalez and her bully, her bully spirit. So explain who Lorena Gonzalez is. We've, we've talked about her on a couple different episodes, um, but she was the chief writer of AB5 or sponsor of AB5 as a legislator, right? Yeah, I would say sponsor because I don't think she has the skills to write anything. What I've dwindled her down to in my troublemaking spirit is just a very big mouth. 
And she doesn't, I've watched a lot of videos of her trying, oh, Lorena Gonzalez, first of all, is, was an assembly person for, I think, District 80, and it was in San Diego. Um, came, she came from the Teamsters originally. She was, yes, I think, a she was, organizer. I was going to say, she was in the Teamsters, and she was just a perfect person to do whatever they wanted. I mean, I do believe to some extent she does care about labor, but I don't believe she understands it. Um, by watching her, talking to her personally on email and stuff like that. And I think also the fact that her and Vina DeBall, she's another assembly person who, my understanding, AB5 was on her faulty data. So there's a lot of issues with AB5 as a whole um, and how it came to conception. So my understanding is Vina DeBall was the one who gave the uh, data to move AB5 up, but I'm not sure. Okay, so let's let's break down AB5 a little bit. For the listeners outside of California, AB5 is the gig worker law that ostensibly was passed in late 2019, became effective in January of 2020, I believe, right before the Correct. pandemic shut everything down. Um, it institutes something called an ABC test that in order for an employer to hire freelancers, the the ABC test institutes part A, part B, part C. Part B, I think, is where the hard part comes in, where yeah. they cannot hire a freelancer or a gig worker if it's in the same industry as the employer or if that person is in the same industry as the employer, which basically nullifies everybody who's a freelancer, right? Right. You know, and there's been a lot of uh, confusion about that law and that that particular um Part B, because one of the freelancers in California is a translator. She translates one language, okay, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, Portuguese, Hungarian. I mean, this is, according to that ABC test, there, she should be free from that. She should be able to work because she's not doing anything that a customary employer would have. I mean, how many employees have a Hungarian or a Portuguese translator at hand and can actually fulfill them 40 hours a week? And so we've gone back and forth because even freelancers in California are a little confused by that. So being the state worker and into arbitration, I looked into how anybody can arbitrate uh, a misclassification. So we have a department called the Department of Industrial Relations, uh, which has labor commissioners there. So I looked on that website, and you know what it says. This is the Borello test. This is the Dynamex test. Um, okay. And if you fall, you don't fall, the, you, you're this or you're that. And if you don't know what you're in, take it to court. So the only remedy California has right now with AB5 is that a, a, a independent contractor would have to go to court to find out technically right now if they're misclassified. So there's been a lot of confusion on the B for us because um, it seems like they they meet it and then no one will hire them. So right. our question is, well then my question is personally, well then why isn't the state filling in the gap? Why aren't they talking to these other states and telling them how to meet that? and get these people hired back in California. Well, you know, probably because they don't want to, but I think, Gavin, when the truckers went, uh, the 70,000 truckers, 
and their injunction and everything, uh, or the Supreme Court case, Gavin Newsom put out a tweet, or his office did, that they were working on that part. So that was, that was recently. That was the uh, port truckers in Oakland yes. um, shut down the port for almost a week because the Supreme Court of the United States wouldn't hear their case that they should not be part of AB5, right? Correct. And, and then, well, I, I'm not sure what they went in on, but I know that AJA um, uh, went in on the First Amendment. I actually watched that hearing um, the, at, the, at the appeals court. And what the judges said was that um, they can, well, with AB 2257 and the exemption of the other industries, they made it very clear that we can only imagine that the people who were exempted from this bill had really good lobbyists, okay, Um, on, on the, you know, all the other people that came down. But what the attorney general's position is in California, he said it very plainly in that hearing. He said, this is just simply a socioeconomic bill to rule out misclassification, nothing else. Right. Regardless if it destroys other people's jobs or livelihoods. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. yeah there's, and, there's a website I refer to occasionally. It's like the personal stories of AB5 or something like that. And it's, it's got all these different jobs, these you know literal uh-huh. occupations where they've been just destroyed by AB5. Yeah. And, yes. And I think part of the problem um, for people across the United States is they don't realize that California was the litmus test for this. It's written into the pending PRO Act, uh, which if so in California, if my understanding is correct, you guys have had a bunch of bills or um, adjustments to AB5 to exempt certain occupations, right? Correct. But if they do this at the national level through the PRO Act, there's probably not going to be any exemptions. Yeah. When when you mentioned that yesterday, that was pretty chilling because, you know, it would, I don't know what, it's very hard to tell which way it would go, but I think it would just overlap and then everybody just goes back to square one in California. Well, if, it, you know, because if the PRO Act passes, it's, you know, yeah. the ABC test is clearly in there, then yeah, you're, there's That's no gonna, recourse at that point. Right. And if, if right? in fact, you wouldn't have exemptions in California because the federal law would override the state law. And that's really, really telling on, you know, on what can happen. Because I know you asked yesterday, like, you know, it's a national podcast. Well, I would say in my experience of working for the state, we've always been the leader. Okay. Always. And anything California did, everybody else did. But I would say right now, California is a cautionary tale of what not to do. That yeah. just doesn't mean AB5. That means the homeless fentanyl crisis that's in our state. That means um, this handing over, you know, uh, gifts to SEIU, you know, this fast bill that just passed the fast food. I mean, talk about a little bit of an insult to me. I got fired over passing $15 an hour, and now they just want to come in, take over, and make a new wage. You know, <laughs> it's like, right. okay. So, you know, it's right now what I, you know, when I heard, I mentioned, I heard the Lance Christensen Christensen podcast, which I really hope that everybody who cares about California goes back and listens to. He has a great handle of California as a whole, except I feel like as long as the state workforce is intact and they're doing everything they're supposed to do, California is always savable. We just happen to be going through a governor who absolutely is a puppet to the unions. 
And I say that because I know them mostly personally. <laughs> well, I, so I guess the question is, how did, and I've kind of watched this from afar for 30 years, but how did California get to the point where it's, and you mentioned Lance a moment ago, he basically explained it as there's, you have a Republican party in California that they may have 18 or 30 votes in the legislature, but the Democrats, which are the union side Democrats have a super Mm -hmm. duper majority in there. And how did it get to the point where the unions have essentially taken over the state? Money. Okay. Okay, Because when I first came to the Capitol and I was testifying against Schwarzenegger for the union, there was a mutual respect at that point. Um, and that'll show my loyalties, Republican or Democrat. If you're messing with my state, I'm going to be against you. And so um, back then, we had a, a lobbyist um, from the political department that would sit in the Capitol and listen to all the bills that were being um, sponsored or whatever. And he would pick which bill the unions would really get behind. So that's how I learned um, how to lobby. They taught me everything. Um, we did SB 1234. I think that's when Wilson, or the mayor, what was his name? The Koch brothers, they were talking about pension envy. And, you know, they're going to take your state pensions, is what mm. Kevin DeLeon told us. If you don't help us get this portable retirement. And what SB 1234 is, is simple that it's a 3% negligible amount taken out of your check. So if you work for, it's for private sector, not for public. If you work for McDonald's and you leave that job, then whatever you put into that retirement goes with you. If you go to Jack in the Box. Okay, so that was not supposed to be state run. Well, it's state run now because no one wanted to touch it. No pension, anybody. They're like, we're good. We don't want to hold that kind of big of a pocket of money. So the last I looked on that, that it's state run. So I don't know if that ever is going to get off the ground or if it is, if people have been contributing since that passed. But um, it made me go back and think that that was the beginning of the 2010 plan. Think about it if, you know, um, well, they were actually working helping fast food restaurants back then. And so what I do want to say is for union knowledge, uh, if it has, if there's a restaurant, anything that has to do with service, that is under at Service Employees International Unit. So you will see SEIU, everything. Those are the people that are coming because that's what I was taught. We want to unionize all the service uh, industries in the country, in the world. Okay, so um, well, I kind of got lost there. So what I'm that's saying, okay. but my, yeah, no, I mean, there's just so much floating around my head that, and so with AB5, you know, oh, that was the portable retirement. So that got off the thing. But what I do want to say is that when AB5 started, the, the, we have a legislative analyst office. They did a study and said that up to a million people would be affected by this law. And they urged the, the, the assembly to do a study or take their time before they implemented it. And so um, with Lorena Gonzalez, the assembly person, Vina DeBall, and Gavin Newsom, all of them were just really doing, just pretty much doing whatever they wanted at one point is the way that I viewed it. Okay, so then um, when, uh, let me see. So when AB5 got enacted in the, in the, um, the freelancers, okay, mm-hmm. 
they lost their their footing in being able to get jobs as independent contractors. So what I noticed within AB5 is that it primarily affects women and disabled people. Okay, because it is that that is what independent contracting seems to be made up quite a bit of. The more that I work with people in California, that's that's who I've been help, helping to defend. And so um, for me, when I see it after telling people for 30 years they have to work because they're disabled, it's very hard for me to compute somebody who has to, who cannot, who can work, who's able-bodied, but the state just outlawed their job. And I think that's the scariest part is how can a bill be written and outlaw your jobs with no recourse well, and so I understand the from the union's perspective, AB5, if you have an independent contractor, they're specifically unable to unionize them. In other words, in the private sector, their independent contractors are exempted from the National Labor Relations Act. So you can't unionize them if they're independent contractors. So they want to kill off independent contractors. And if they do that, then they have to become employees. They can be unionized. And then if you if you couple that onto what they just did with the fast food bill, AB257, and it becomes sectoral bargaining, like they now have, have the ability to unionize an entire sector, and you have these sectors that can't use freelancers anymore, you've got a whole bigger pool right. of people you can unionize. So I kind of get that perspective. Not that it's good. I do it's too. Just, it's, I understand what they're doing, but they're just completely missing the boat on vocation, skills, occupations, and industries. I mean, it's you can't say that, and I've heard this out on Twitter land, you're just a bunch of freelancers, who cares? Right. Can, you know, I, I think and the it's military like, term is collateral damage. Yes. But, you know, the numbers are, are different. Some say 59 million. The, the benefit on a national level is that the ed, education, I think it's the Republican Education uh, Labor Commissioner, uh, Congresswoman in North Carolina, Virginia Fox, right. um, Jim Banks, I'll just say their names, Tim Scott and Rick Allen, they have caught the cry. They have heard it. So I even found yesterday, uh, Scott came up with a new bill, which is the Modern Work, Work, Worker Act. So they uh, started the Employees' Rights Act, which is um, specifically designed to protect independent contractors, small businesses, and franchises. Now, I didn't know franchises were such a big golden ticket for the unions, but I believe in Massachusetts they ruled them employees already. Yes. Um, Yeah, so that's referring to the Massachusetts Supreme Court who ruled that a 7-Eleven franchisee is an employee of 7-Eleven Corporation. And that was that was just earlier this year. Yes. Yeah, yes. so that's so a when, whole new Pandora's box. Right, right. I mean, because I, you know, I know that the unions seem to think they have control kind of over California State, or, or they're getting in there, but I kind of feel like, again, once... Uh, 
as long as the state workforce is there, we're going to be okay in California. But what I was going to say too was that the other problems that happened during AB5 and the pandemic was a lot of these freelancers were not eligible for PUA and all kinds of other what's, PPP. What's PUA? I was going to say it was a pandemic unemployment assistance. Okay. Um, Lorena Gonzalez, the assembly person on Twitter, was giving false information on what they could and could not collect. A lot of them lost their livelihoods. And I think the biggest key that AB5 has done to California is just break the socioeconomics uh, status of the state and the, the spirit of the entrepreneurs. You know, there some of these people that got caught in the initial fire of this bill, they've lost everything. Right. They've lost everything, everything. Their, their clientele, everything. Well, for those of us outside of California, and I, I didn't pay that much attention to AB5. I saw, you know, it was this misclassification bill when it passed in 2019. And then one of the first headlines that came out before it was actually in place, you know, before, before January of 2020, was that Vox Media got rid of all their writers in California and yeah. said, yeah, we can't use you because of AB5. Yeah. And so that was like, I think, 300. And then... Again, I didn't pay that much attention to it. I was more focused on the PRO Act because um, that had passed the House twice now. And then a, uh, a fellow, well, a writer who uh, did a post about the ABC test and the PRO Act, and she said there's 57 million freelancers out there. And I was like, wow, this is bigger than I thought. And it was not an area of the PRO Act I was focused on at all. But it's right. you know, it affects just about everybody. And I think Lance had told me um, on the podcast last week or whatever that was a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if you've got, if you're in an industry and you've got the money and you've got the lobbyists, you got the exemptions, right. but the, you know, John Q public, Jane Q public, they didn't get the exemptions, you know, the independent right. freelancers, so to speak. Right. And then what was interesting, I was going to say about the Ed labor when Virginia Fox uh, wrote a letter to, I think, the NLRB of Brussos, uh, she actually only quoted 10 or 19 million legit mm. IC jobs. Okay. So that, that kind of opened a question like, are we really fighting for 59 million? But the way that everybody does their math and their numbers, they're talking about part-time, she's talking right. about legit. So kind of segue, because I think there's a real misconception that Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, is doing this assault through the Department of Labor. Um, in my experience of being on, you know, watching Walsh, I don't know much about any of these people. Okay. I just take them for who they are and what they say. And he, he doesn't seem bright enough to be pulling off the things that Jennifer Abrusos is doing with the NLRB. Um, he is, I know they're working on the independent contractor role. Mm -hmm. uh, with the Department of Labor, but I, I kind of got in the tail end of that hearing and I clearly heard them say they weren't going to do it. They would, were not going to do a role. Okay. So back to Virginia Fox, what I've noticed and what her work is, she is determined to keep the Trump independent uh, contractor role. So she's been writing letters this entire time. She actually, uh, wrote GAO, uh, the Government Accountability Office, to do an a investigation on Walsh because oh. he's only, yeah, he's only doing unions. He's only favoring unions right now, and she wants him to stop, okay? And then she's written a few nasty letters to Abruzzo, 
you know, you're not basically telling her that she needs to slow down. She doesn't have the right to do all these new laws and labor laws. She's not there. Well, I looked at Abruzzo and a couple of the labor leaders' backgrounds. Well, Jennifer Abruzzo, she's been working for the NLRB her entire life. Well, she took she took a four-year hiatus during the Trump administration, and she was general counsel of my old union, which was CWA. Wow. So yeah, yeah, she's, she's been there. She was the undersec, not undersecretary. She was the, um, whatever the level is right below the general counsel. So she was the under general Mm -hmm. counsel, vice general counsel or something like that under, uh, Richard Griffin during the Obama years. He, he too was a general counsel of the union before going into the NLRB. So right. And yeah. so what a lot of these people that got these positions, Julie Sue, all of them from California are absolute SEIU um, funded, you know. Right. And so with Jennifer Abruzzo, uh, Dave, well, David Will wrote this book and, and my my partner, Mike Ruby, he wrote this 38 page of a of a review of this Fisher workplace book. And they really have a very. They don't care. I mean, their concept of what employees and independent contractors are, are simply that they're janitors and gardeners. Okay, so they have this whole mentality. Let's all lump them together, make them all employees. Like you said, in industry bargaining, sexual bargaining, maybe regional bargaining, you know, all that stuff. I know it's in different countries. Somebody from Australia came up on Twitter and said, we have this here. And my response to all of, of, of any kind of union, forced unionization is we're in America and we like to do things our way with freedom and choice. So I often tell people what happens in other countries will not work here. Right. You know, uh, yeah. And so I think it's just, I say delusional to think that this entire country can be unionized, let alone this state, which is the goal of the AFL-CIO and SEIU. They've joined hands in it. And uh, my old union, SEIU Local 1000, just put out a pamphlet that said, unionize California. And if you look at Lorena's new position um, for the California Federal. uh, Uh, Federation. Yeah, California Labor Labor Federation. She has the same thing, unionize California. Right. And um, it's very hard to go ahead. So I, I'm coming back to historic. You, you and I are probably, I'm a little bit older than you, but we're in the same generation. Um, and I'm going back to my question a little while ago is how did California get so like overrun by the unions? And I, I want to, and you mentioned Schwarzenegger and some people today may not remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator used to be governor (laughs) of California. Um, I seem to recall when he won that special election, there was a recall from about Gray Davis. I want to say, was that the yes. mid nineties? Yes. It was 95, 96, maybe, or was yeah. it after that? I think so, it was after that. Yeah. So the Californian, uh, California voters recalled Gray Davis, Arnold Schwarzenegger took over. And I seem to recall, so correct my memory here, if I'm wrong, that he went to do some things and he was, quote, Republican, um, he went to do some things and he basically got lambasted by the California teachers, right? The Teachers Association. Oh, more than likely. Yeah. And, and that kind of like it nipped whatever he was going to do for reform in the bud. And then he, you know, I think he went along to get along with them. 
I don't know that he did that much in California. Well, you know, unfortunately, in California, the budget's always balanced off state workers' backs and our salaries. That's by history, you know, okay. because the largest part of our budget goes to prison health care and eh, I forgot the other one right now. But um, Schwarzenegger came after us. We went through some significant mm-hmm. pay cuts up to 17%. And so that's when I was started with the union, um, he had his expendable movie that came out at the same time. So actually I, I protested here in Paso Robles for that movie. I was out there, we made the poster, uh, state workers are not expendable, but you are. And so it was Meg Whitman who was running against them and, uh, John Chung, I believe. And so we made this movie poster with the union. We often got in trouble for these types of wanted posters. But so, yeah, it was a real I was at the t- a ca- table um, testifying about the 555 plan. And okay, so explain, it, it's explain just explain the 555 plan. You mentioned that yesterday when we were talking. And had... Oh, we got a day off, 5% pay cut, a personal holiday, 5% pay cut. And something else it, 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 we didn't work we got we got but he somehow calculated that we were only getting 15 percent. it was ridiculous and okay. so it was one vacation day that's what it was so okay. when we take vacation in our contract we get paid for it mm-hmm. so we worked three last days a month but we got paid the same okay yeah so somehow they did some calculation. And, and like I said, you know, with the unions in California, when SEIU Local 1000 bargains, there's a huge Me Too clause. And every other union thinks we get the best contract, which goes to really how I feel about the unions right now. You know, what I've said to them often is that you guys should have made yourself um, where people wanted to join a union. You know, like I, I envision you know, a uh, career fair where there's Teamsters over there, you know, International over here, SCIU, AFL, CIO, where they're competitive and people are like, yeah, I really want to get into a union. But from what I can tell, you know, I have a son that's in this age where he sometimes will ghost employers. Um, <laughs> when I went to, I actually went to school with him one day, right? And uh, he was having a little trouble there. And I learned the five stages of tyranny. So I know that people are, you know, also concerned about the generation that's not working. But often what he would say was what teachers were teaching him. What's the use of working? There's going to be no social security left. Right. Oh, I need health care, mom. Well, you have it until you're 26. Okay. And, and so those are... I think that's part, partly wrong. What's wrong with this generation is that they were taught there's going to be nothing left, so what's the point? So a lot of times they go to a job, they make what they can make. If they get mad at the boss or they don't like the way someone talked to them, they think jobs are disposable. Coming from a generation like us where we're like, no, you got to still be a career you know, person. I used to work for the state for 30 years. I was supposed to stay there, yeah. you know? That kind of stuff. And so I think the mentality of work and loyalty has just changed. And, um, but I think the, and that's why it makes union jobs so easy. They're going to tell us what we make. We'll know we'll get sick time if we call in sick. 
we'll get workers comp if we get hurt. And I, I kind of see that mentality happening with the youth. Like um, they really believed everything that was taught to them in schools. If you join a union, your job is safe and you get workers comp. And, um, and that's what I found out with some of the people. I've been keeping the pulse on some of the Starbucks activists. I've been talking to some of them because what I've told uh, Jennifer Abrusos is that one day I'm going to take the hundred and myself who were fired for the good of the union, and I'm going to march them back to her desk and say, where's our back pay? Right. I want my pension back, you know? So, you know, it's, it's really, it's really sad to see that California would actually want their kids to not work. You know, we're sitting here going, please come to this job. Please stay. Please work. I know in Paso Robles, they can't hire anybody either. And so I don't know what, you know, when Lance was talking about, he's dead on. There's going to be a generation now that's not going to want to take care of us. Right. When well, we get of, older, yeah. Part of that, um, and it's not to get into too much politics, part of it is just purely demographic changes. The baby boomers... I, People of our yeah. generation are getting older, retiring, leaving the workforce. Um, there started to be a shift in, I want to say, the 90s, maybe in 2000s, where the length of service with employees, and I'm talking mostly private sector, just got, started getting shorter. Yes. Like the average time frame used to be, say, five or 10 years, and then it's now yes. down to like two and a half. And currently, maybe due to the pandemic, but I think it was tight before the pandemic, you know, we're at, we're, our workforce is shrinking, like the number of people in the workforce. Uh -huh. And so, the, and then the pandemic hit people who are of our age, maybe a little bit older said, I'm done. You know, I'm not yeah. coming back to work. So, so that meant the pool is even shorter right. and unless, and, and this is where it gets a little political, but unless we figure out immigration reform, we're going to continue to have work shortages or worker shortages right right so and like there's a whole bunch of like different things that have happened and, yeah you know and the kids because i've got three kids that are probably around your kids age you know they're you know they if they wanted to jump job to job they could probably make more money than they do that's true and i know that when i was at the capitol the appropriations committee i did a study in california and they found that the average, uh, I think it was 18 to 30, but the average worker stayed at the job for three years. Yeah, that so, sounds about right. Yeah. So what I noticed with the state was that they were using staff to come in for, it takes a year to learn my job, just to learn it. Right. And when you, one day after a year, you're an official state employee. Okay, it takes three terminations to get rid of you. Um, but often they were using what I saw was the, the younger generation coming in, doing the job for a year, reject them on probation, bring in the next 15. So I think there's some employers that, see, there's, there's a, it's an employer issue also. It's not just people who don't want to work. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah, there's a, there's a case in New Jersey um, years ago, this was in the grocery industry where the unions, uh, or the union would start collecting union dues. There's a 90 day probation. They start collecting union dues and initiation fees from day one. And then at 88, 89 days before that probationary employee became fully eligible for union protection, mm -hmm. 
they would let him go. And that's what we're going to see a lot of. We're going to see a lot of that because, well, right now the 70,000 part truckers are the truckers at the port. My understanding, they're still there. I'll go check. I'll be in Hayward at the end of the month. I'll go look because just because that's who I still am. Still protesting or, or still yes, working? Or? They're still out there, I think, with the longshoremen. But I have to, you know, I don't, I think they just got uh, squashed in the news. Okay. Because there's no news that I can find uh, about it or articles for that matter. Right. So, you know, I think overall, AB5 and even the fast food bill, I think Gavin Newsom handing the unions, they're his friends. They're his friends. Mm-hmm. They are well, they, his friends. So that was another topic I wanted to ask you if you could explain. Um, did you do political campaigns like during election years, stuff like that, the canvassing? I have once for uh, Bill Quirk. Okay. With the union, and he is a assembly person still in East Bay. So I don't know how, um, I don't know if people understand how unions get out the vote. Or, or you know, for example, Gavin Newsom just went through a, a recall election. Mm-hmm. Um, and the unions clearly were out there campaigning for him. But were they driving people to the polls? Were they going door to door? Not that I'm aware of. I know when I did canvassing, we just walked door to door. Okay. And got, you know, I, even if it was, I'm just, I wouldn't have done it anyhow. You know, um, is that's just who I am. I'm not a, a, I'm not always right, but if it's an ethical bound, I will ro- put it down, you know? And I think that's my biggest problem personally, why I've come out on the troublemaking side, because I came out that way because Lorena Gonzalez was being so mean to all these people who just mm-hmm. lost their jobs. Right. And she was the reason why. And she's like, almost like, nah, 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 who cares? And I don't take kindly to that kind of, you know, bullying. So that's why I came out, though. I would never treat my friends or family this way. <laughs> it is yeah. simply the fact that they're so misguided on what a job is, what labor is. I mean, when you get a, an international president and the first time she gets her position and creates a lavender committee, you no, know, nothing wrong with that. Well, she hasn't spoken about labor this entire time even during the PRO Act. That includes Liz Schuler. She yeah, took over all... Trump's spot. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's social, social justice as opposed to traditional labor relations or labor representation. Right, which, I... which is my plight at this point is basically to say, if they're going to cap our salaries, the members should be able to vote what their salaries are going to be or what they can, if their money can go to a social issue, just like we say, don't put any of our money into politics if we go non-germane. I mean, it sounds like it's un, not possible, but at least it's a posture for people to, to say back, okay, you force us into a union. Let's say these 70,000 truckers go into a union. Can they make them pay? Don't or know. into an employer. See, and that's right. where, and it's just a well, destruction they, of a. If they unionize the trucking company that is the um, contractor at, at the ports, they could, you know, if those independent contractors become employees of a unionized trucking company, they would wind up paying union dues. Right. And if, if, if that, you know, and that's why I would say to anybody, the minute you sign up for a union, go non-germane. So let's, um, let's touch on non-germane because 
Um, in the private sector, that's not a term. It would be, right. you could be an agency fee payer, but not an actual member, which would, if you're an actual member, a portion of your dues are going to go to politics. Um, an agency fee payer in the private sector would be just paying for the bargaining agent, so to speak, not the politics. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that's non-germane in the state, in California, at least for state workers, right? You're just right. And see, you touched on something because there's fair share members and then there's members. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fair share, this is so silly. If you're a fair share member, your dues are about 50 bucks, I think. If you're a member, it's 90 or no, maybe it's like 70 or 80. And then if you're a member, it's 90 last I remember. But if you go non-germane, it's 25. So when you, okay. this is how state workers look at their paycheck. When you look at the, the maximum pay for a state worker, I think is about 6,000 a month, maybe a little higher. So they get to take home roughly about three to 4,000. Well, you got to pay your health care, union dues. And once that two, three, four, 500 comes off, that already dips into everybody's pay. So we don't take right. home as much as you will see. Well, unfortunately, we're public servants, so everything we make and do is on the Internet. We, it can't be hidden. So non-germane is different because you're a member, okay, but you're saying, I don't want my money to go to politics. Now, on the flip side of the council, every council, the general uh, council attorney for SEIU Local 1000 had to remind us all that we had to treat each other the same. Well, what happens if a fair share member gets fired? Okay, well, you go there and, and represent them, but they're not members. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you're so supposed to be representing them equally without discrimination. Correct. So there's just so many. I mean, what they have to gain to me is just greed. I mean, I don't know what they have to gain. I am not a socialist or Republican Democrat. I am just somebody that looks at this labor plan in California and says, what are you doing? These people can work. Their arms right. work, you know, let them work. And that's how it started was with Kevin Kiley. He did the let us work and he did the stories that you're reading. And I still work with some of the people who have written are a part of those stories. Um, and so he started let us work with his chief of staff, Josh Hoover. And then I came in, started working with Kevin Kiley, and then I took it over. And there, Ky Kiley is running for Congress and Josh Hoover, I think, is running for his seat. So we don't have anybody left in California to advocate for AB5. So right now it's kind of a, a grieving mourning period because uh, Supreme Court kicked back AJA uh, versus uh, AG. And that was a real hope that it would have changed everything. I think everybody in the nation, Kim Cavan, I know Mike Ruby in New Jobs, Massachusetts, I probably botched his name. They all did an amicus brief. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just California that got kicked. It was the whole nation when the Supreme Court didn't review that. So I kind of, I don't know. I don't, we have an election coming up in California. I keep telling people if we get rid of Newsom, that would be great. Will we? Probably not. You know, um, because I think that California is a little afraid to vote Republican after the Trump fiasco. Um, I know that's what I've received from my liberal friends here. And so um, I stand on if we get Lanhee Chen in a state controller. Um, he's Republican. He could stop 
any kind of financial shenanigans that Newsom does, like giving money to BYD for uh, China for masks that didn't pass inspection. Right. You know, he could have made him account for that, you know, just like John Chung did with Schwarzenegger. So I'm hoping that we get a good Republican under, you know, under Newsom that stops him and then kind of puts a hold on the unions from trying to take over our state. You know, well, I, I guess have- that's a that's a question is um, I again, looking from afar, it appears they've already taken it over. So, yeah, you know, if I didn't know the people, I'd say, yeah, but see, you know, right now they're close because there's our old president, Yvonne Walker, she's running for CalPERS board. Mm. And what I didn't like, okay, after the EDD fiasco and everybody, and we were, you know, the fraud, what Newsom did was appointed Nancy Farias Womack. She is the old political head for SEIU Local 1000. So he's handing out favors. Oh, yeah, you go right. here, you go there. So what, my question was, why would you hand a union head the EDD? I know what, she has no is, skills. What is EDD? It's economic. I'm de- sorry. It, employee development. Uh, okay. Unemployment. Unemployment. Okay. And state disability. And we had like a huge fraud issue during the pandemic. And so, and Julie Sue was ahead of that. And then they transferred her to the national arena. Right. So we have a lot of California um, politicians and union elite, elites that are just trying to get in there. And it didn't happen before because Jerry Brown and Schwarzenegger, Wilson, all of them were very good at keeping a temperament saying, okay, you're pushing it too far. But Gavin Newsom's like, hey, I want to be president. So come on in. Yeah, that's right. He's uh, they're they're talking. He may be running in twenty twenty four as president, or for that's for all president. he's doing. That's all he's doing is campaigning for president. On his Twitter, he's he's talking about DeSantis. Yeah. So abortion. here's a question: What happens to Kamala Harris? Because she's not as old as Biden is, and she's vice president. So you'd think it would be her running as president, or unless it's going to be a he wants to a Harris slash. Uh, Newsom ticket, right? I had that nightmare already. <laughs> okay. Because I met Harris through the union, and I've told people that the speech she gave at this dinner I saw was the same speech she gave when she won. Oh, There's not a lot of substance under her. She was the attorney general in my building for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would stay in different buildings. They have one uh, office in San Francisco, all the major cities. And the the union the staff in the union complained she was never there. That's interesting. Well, we, that's similar yeah, to so, the complaints we hear now at the national level. Oh, that's interesting. That's true. Yeah, she was never there. She or the or the so lights are on. Nobody's home. Happen. We have a lot of Californian a California union sponsored one hundred percent SEIU sponsored politicians that are dispersed throughout the country. Right. They don't have a good track record of laws and legislation or anything like that that someone can say, yes, we really think they're a good um, politician, legislature, or anything. Because I don't think Kamala Harris said anything while she was in her AG seat. So here's a question uh, you may or may not know the answer to. So, and this is where I thought there was a little bit of hope. They they did a recall election on the San Francisco DA. And then mm-hmm. there's another recall election. So they recalled the San Francisco DA, but the 
the LADA, Gascon, I think his name is, they didn't recall him. And no. I'm trying to figure out how he kept his job in, in Southern California and whether or not the unions were behind that. Jennifer Van Lahr from Red State has an expose on that entire subject. It's really good. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Um, I don't know if there was any, I think there was some talk about George Soros funded and um, that the committee or the uh, George Gascon uh, recall were was kind of haphazard in, in submitting their signatures. Yeah, they, so didn't, I, they didn't have enough solid signatures or something like that. I, right. I don't remember. It's, it's, it's just a couple months I'm, ago, though. I'm actually pretty proud of San Francisco because they're supposed to be the most liberal and they got rid about and really fast. Yeah. You know, well, and, and there's a lot of commentary, you know, I guess, uh, what was his name? Bowden. Yeah. Uh, Chessie Bowden. Yeah. And he was apparently accusing the Republicans of doing it, but there's no Republicans in, in San Francisco. I don't think. Or if, no, not to that extent. Well, are, the new DA is doing a, doing, yeah, the new DA is doing a really good job. And so, you know, there's a lot of scandal and AB5 isn't just a clear-cut law that was passed in California that was really trying to rule out misclassification. It comes with a lot of um, scandal. Yeah. You know, I Oh, you mentioned I think that yesterday. Aud yeah, audible, you know, they should be audited. Um, I think Phil Ting who was dating the sole testimony for AB5 for 4 years on an app, a gig app, he found her. Um, he's probably not, he's facing a lot of scrutiny for that. Now he's up for reelection. He's a budget chair. Hmm. He's a, he's the most powerful man in the Capitol, the budget chair. And now the women's groups, I just read an article where even London Reed doesn't want to, um, endorse him. Oh, really? So, yeah. Huh. So if he doesn't get that job or get reelected, that'll make my day. I just have a handful of, uh, legislatures in the Capitol that just, you know, they want to push this uh, gender identity or equity, equality, things that I just don't understand why they would work so hard to push women out of the workplace, disabled. Mm. Same thing with the Olympics, you know, the swimmers and all that stuff. Um, I think that in the end, if Gavin Newsom stays or goes, I'm hoping, I know that AB5 cannot be repealed at this point. If the federal plan ends up working and just, you know, makes everybody uh, employees or whatever, you know, they're reaching for, then we're all going to be at square one. You know, what what is going to happen to this country if they got their way? It's well, I, I did a post on not on AB5, but um, it's basically trans transformational change, fundamentally transforming okay the nation's economy. And I think that's been okay. the goal for many, many years. And yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you think it can work? No, I, well, I think the goal has always been, we want to be more like Europe. Um, and oh. with all the various European laws and, and big government and, mm -hmm. you know, and for unions, the free market has stood in the way because it's competition and, and as a union, it's hard to compete. And, you know, whether it's a construction union or um, rail union, 
you know, it's hard to compete if there's competition. So the easiest way to do it is either kill the competition or bring them into the union. And that's sectoral bargaining. That's AB5, you know, AB257. And, you know, at some point, either unless people wake up to it and push back, we're going to go that direction. I Yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that they want to do it by industry and not occupation skills and strength <laughs> or is just individual workplace, which is what, you know, right. currently in the private sector, that's what it is. And government sector is a little bit different because like, you know, California, you've got all the, the different um, agencies that are already unionized. But, you know, if I've got to go unionize an individual Starbucks, which is what they're doing currently, um, uh-huh. as opposed to unionizing the entire chain, which is, I think, what they would like to do, you know, right. that it's, it's harder to do it individually. However, I think their end goal is to bring, for example, we start out talking about Starbucks. I think their goal is to make it one contract or a regional contract, you know, per region that they're unionized. They're just failing miserably right now, you know, with so many people fired. And those people don't understand there's no, there's no union job if they don't win. I mean, I was like, hey, hire me. Why don't you guys hire me? You lost my job. But no. This whole concept of an injury to one is an injury to all, except for those who, you know, lose their jobs for, you know, for trying to help. And, you know, like I said, I've spoken with a couple of the ones that were fired um, from Starbucks, and they're starting to understand that they're not going to. Yeah, in large measure, a lot of these kids, I think, are just getting used. That's so, what I was saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think Jennifer Abrusos is very callous in what she's doing to the labor law, the joint employer status, all the, the MOUs with the DOJ. She's got an MOU with DOJ, I believe. Um, FTC. Department of Labor. Yeah. She's got about, I think they're shooting for 18 federal departments right. that they will all cooperate together. And she's halfway through. Yeah, this is this whole of government approach. And we saw that a little bit with um, the Obama administration, not nearly to the extent that it is now. Uh, but okay. they want to use all. So if if they've got an employer, you know, ABC company, and that employer violates one of the laws, they can use all the different agencies to come after. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's referred to as a corporate campaign, but they're using the government to do that. And, and we did see and, this approach in the Obama years, too. That's what I keep hearing, that it started with Obama. And yeah. I'm not a federal politic person. <laughs> yeah, I would not, never sleep at night. I just happen to know the people that are playing, the players up at the Capitol. Yeah. You know, um, but that's scary to think that any president would want that for this country. Well, and I, what they're going to start doing is... Um, uh, the term is called blacklisting. They're going to start blacklisting federal contractors. You know, so if yep. somebody screws up and they don't post a poster the right way under the government mandate and they violate this law or that law, then they'll just bar them. Or if they oppose unionization. So, uh, yes, that's kind of scary. The future of the workforce. And that's why I tell my son, I'm concerned about your ability to make money when you get older, because yeah. we don't know how far they're going to get with this right now. Now, I heard Liz Schuler uh, quoted in a newspaper recently that she's concerned, as I mentioned yesterday, that there will be a GOP takeover. 
and that she's going to have they're going to have to fight for the gains and keep them until that's over. So it sounds to me, not being a federal politicker, that they're just going to wait for the next Democratic person to come into the into the presidency so they can finish. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so that's sad. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward. It's it's creeping. Wow. So it is. I mean, I hope that it's not to a point where we can't fight it back. But as long as I have a handle on what's going on in California, I'm going to push back and I'm going to push back at the people that are doing it. You're going to keep keep being a troublemaker. Absolutely. The Mean Girls Club, Jennifer Brusso, Mary Kay Henry, Liz Schuler, Sarah Nelson. Yeah. From from the airlines AFA. and they're yeah. they're steady Eddie, Marty Walsh. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the the players that are coming after us, yeah. you know. So, but yeah, no, it's 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 daunting, you know. I frankly thought when I first saw AB five, oh, this was going to be easy. No. Yeah, no. There's too many. There's a governor too committed to being president, so nothing is going to be easy. I just hope that he doesn't appoint that board for that SB two five seven. Yeah, the fast food board. That's his only way out. Just never appoint the board and let it go. Because he wasn't going to sign that. He vetoed it last year or last time. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's been interesting. California is just a cautionary tale, and I would hate to see this go national because we are not leading in any way. I think we're just absolutely failing in every avenue because they went too fast. Yeah. They went too, too fast. Push too hard. Liable to get blowback. So, yeah. Well, Linda, well, we've been on for we've been on for about an hour. So how okay. would you, do you want? Uh, I can put the link to your Twitter on there. Uh, do you have sure. any other websites or anything that for people to reach out to you? Well, right there for now. I mean, Twitter. I have some links to the bills and stuff like that if needed or what's going on. Okay. Um, but no, I, I'm mostly on Twitter right now because I want to see this through. There's a very wonderful woman named Gail Gordon, who has a niche opera, Numi opera, and I promised her I'd be here until she got it back. Okay. So it could be so, 10 years, right? And so for the for the listeners, because this is audio only, um, you go mm-hmm. by Pinky on Twitter. And, and I'm saying this, you know, for the listeners, not the people who can see you, uh, it's because you have pink hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In any case. Well, it is great talking to you. It's great talking to you. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was absolutely a pleasure. And it's kind of nice so people understand that California is okay. We're okay. We're going to be okay. Okay. That's all I can say. It's <laughs> looking right. dim. It's looking grim, but we're going to be okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, that was Linda Martinez, a.k.a. Pinky on Twitter. And I'm going to link, uh, leave the link to her Twitter handle on the under the audio portion of this episode. And as always, it's fun to talk to new people and find out what they're all about, as we did this afternoon. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Uh, Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Thanks for listening.
been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.